Our First Testament lesson this day, our only testament for that matter, comes from 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and verses 9 through 10. Then all of the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Look, we are your bone and flesh. For some time while Saul was king over us, it was you who led us out of Israel and brought it in. The Lord said to you, it is you who shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be ruler over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old, and he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. David occupied the stronghold and named it the city of David. David built the city all around from the Milo inward, and David became greater and greater, for the God of hosts was with him. Let us pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks for this day. Pray that you would open our hearts and minds and ears to hear what you would say to us today. Help us, Lord, hear you more clearly. Send your spirit in this place to visit us, to encourage us, and to give us hope in what we now hear. Amen. I said it this morning, um, the typical honeymoon period for any pastor is three months. And that three months, you can pretty much say anything, do anything, and everything you say is great. Well... As I considered this passage, that once it was finished, I said, man, I think my, my three months just dwindled to one. <laughs> but it's okay. We are a purple church. As I think about that statement, purple, what it means, red and blue, that always comes into conflict with me around this time of year. The 4th of July. And you think about this wonderful holiday that brings us all together, that unites us, that, that inspires us. But I cannot help but be conflicted. Throughout the airwaves, you hear the songs, the songs of freedom, patriotism, national pride, America, the greatest country on earth. God's country. And I think to myself, this is tough. As I watched and participated in all the festivities, and I got to tell you, I have not seen fireworks like I've seen them in Texas. <laughs> we literally sat in one spot and saw five rows of fireworks without having to move. And throughout all that energy, I heard a few faint voices. 
I heard the cries of Native Americans long ago who were forcibly, forcibly removed from this, their land. I hear the voices of 120,000 Japanese Americans who were forced into internment camps during World War II. I hear the voices of men who were a part of the Tuskegee experiment. Y'all remember those? Men were given, black men were given syphilis in the name of science. Happened in this country without them knowing about it. I hear the cries, the whispers of Muslim Americans, Arab Americans, those from the Middle East and other countries who were profiled post 9-11, who were treated as second-class citizens. I hear the voices and the cries of a man who in this country, red, white, blue, and all, 11 times screamed, I cannot breathe, as he was choked to death on a street corner. I hear the voices of women who still struggle and fight for equality in the workplace. hear the voices of little children screaming for their parents at a border that was stolen. The whole story is not often a pleasant one. We cannot tell the story of America without telling the whole story, painting a full picture of who we are, who we have been, and where we have come from. Because, see, to tell the story of America and to leave out some of the history is not to paint a full picture. And we all know half the truth is what? A whole lie. That's what happens in our lectionary passage this day. What was read was the actual lectionary. What was left out has significant meaning for us today as the Church of Jesus Christ. I would argue that verses 6 through 8 were taken out because, well, let's just say it's not so pleasant, so I shall read them. The king and his men marched to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, you will not come in here. Even the blind and lame will turn you back. Thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, which is now the city of David. David said on that day, whoever would strike down the Jebusites, let them get up the water shaft and attack the blind and the lame. Those whom David hates. Therefore, it is said, the blind and the lame shall not come in to the house. Now I see why it was left out. It 
Sounds like a little discrimination, a little ethnic cleansing. Maybe they took it out to make a preacher's job easier. I remember when I was in seminary, they said, remember, no matter what you do, every time you preach, you must bring it back to good news. You know it well, right? They're going to just ram it over you all the time. Always bring it back to good. But when we leave out important parts of the story, it robs us of the full comprehension and expression of who God is in Jesus Christ that binds us all together. You see, life would be so much simpler if we could erase all the bad. It would. It would feel so much better if we didn't have to look back and reach back into those hurtful and painful moments that happened. It doesn't work that way. We do not have the authority to make those types of edits. The broken glass, the dirt, the stains, the junk one could argue, makes us who we are, for better or for worse. The past reality of our whole story, what I brought up, makes us all uncomfortable. If we were to think inwardly and look at our whole lives, we would think of moments in which we have been wronged, and we can think of some moments in which we wronged others. And I don't know about you, but there's a whole lot. If there was about 30% of my life I could go back and get a do-over on, I'd take it. But it don't work that way. The gospel is, is hidden in this passage. I'm convinced it is. And it's easy to say, well, the gospel's the good news because the Lord was with David and that's it. David, you know, the God was with him and he took over in Jerusalem, the city of God. Boom. That's not necessarily where the gospel is this day. It's in what was left out. The good news. The first step to seeing this gospel is to, to, to sort of unlock where it is, is to look at the full reality of who David was. Okay? You see, we lie about David. We don't tell the whole truth about David. David was an absolute mess of a man. David was terrible. I mean, David, uh, here you go. King David, chosen by God. We love David, right? Poet, musician, writer. I mean, oh my gosh, David. When we mention David, we just like, oh my gosh, David, David, David. The fullness of David, and all those things are true, but the fullness of David goes something like this. He was uh, a liar. If you lie one time, what does that make you? A liar. So that was who David was. That was in his story. What else was in his story? Let's see. He was a brilliant military strategist. Some would say he was pretty savage in some of his exploits. Oh, yeah, and he was, you could also consider him a murderer because, remember Uriah? Remember? Was sent to the front lines to die just so uh, David could have his woman? Yep. Amen. That's King David. Out of the mouth of babes, I'm telling you. All right? That is absolutely David. When it comes to these sort of things, we have to tell the whole story. The passage does affirm David's kingship. It does affirm that God is with him. But what is omitted completes the story. 
It becomes sort of a counter-testimony. You know, you have one testimony and then you have a counter-testimony. We like to say it in our terms as two sides to the same story. David's first act is king to consolidate power. But to do this, his methods were debatable. What do we do with this? What do we do with it? Where do we find hope and good news in this? I don't know. It's hard, but we must accept it either way. As messy as it is because it happened. Dealing with the past is one of the best ways to think about our future. Sometimes in darkness can come a great light. In one of my churches I served, I got a phone call one evening. It's like my second year of seminary. And I'm typing a paper in my little home office. And I get a call from one of my youth parents. And calls me up, says, Chris, I need to talk with you about something. I've got to share something with you. And I'm thinking, sure, you know, anytime, save me from this. Save me from Calvin, please. He's putting me to sleep. And... He says, Chris, he said, are you busy? I said, no, not too much. And he says, I got to tell you something. He says, I don't really agree with who my daughter is is dating. And and I said, well, you know, and she she was awesome. Now, I mean, some of the guys she dated were a little bit sketchy. I get it. You know, but she brought them to church. They were at youth group all the time. And, uh. He says, but I don't, I don't really agree with that. And I'm thinking, yeah, they got, they're a little rough around the edges, but they're welcome at church anytime. And he says, well, that's not it. And I say, well, what is it? He says, well, I don't really think that, I don't really think that white girls should date black boys. I don't think races should mix. And I'm thinking to myself first, you know, I hope you're not thinking that there's some big theological thing that I'm about to come up with. Because my first response was like, is he, I mean, I know I'm a little light, but he's not realizing I'm black. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking like, come on, man, common sense, 101, like, <laughs> I guess, you know, he's seen my family. I'm thinking like, what are you doing, man? It, but as I sat and worked through this with him, and he says, you know, I was brought up to think this way. And it just drives me nuts. But I'm not sure what to do with it. What do I do with this, Chris? And I'm sitting there thinking, like, the courage and the fortitude it took for this man to call me, of all people, and say, I got an issue with this. How do I work through it? I didn't have any answers. I wanted to say, go ask the senior pastor. But I didn't have that answer. My answer was, this is sort of taking me back a little bit. But I got to tell you, I thank you for having the courage to call and and embrace a past in which you were taught some not so okay things. But the fact that he recognized it, the fact that he claimed it and owned it, said to me that he was ready to move forward. He wanted to be a part of a different reality. When we embrace all parts of our story, when we embrace all parts of it, 
we uncover some things that are a little scary. But the good news in the midst of that junk is we always hear the whispers of God working in the shadows. The true full nature of the gospel is that the gospel is messy and it's for messy people. Mike Iaconelli says in his book, Messy Spirituality, that spirituality is not about being fixed, it is about God's being present in our unfixedness. One of the comments I've heard over and over again in ministry, you've heard these before, and especially with all of the nonsense that's on our news stations and, you know, politically and all this sort of stuff, I mean, doesn't it just drive you crazy? And so you hear all these things, and one of the comments I get all the time is, well, you know, I just, I want to go to church. I go to church to get away from the world. I go to church to separate, not hear about all that stuff. I don't want to hear about it from the pulpit. I want to hear about it in class. I come here to get away from it all. This is my favorite part of the sermon. <laughs> in which I quote, the Honorable Reverend Andrew Scott Odom. <laughs> I'm like super nosy. I saw his full name in his office. He doesn't know that on this degree. God expects us to stay engaged with each other in the world, as broken as it and we are. We deprive ourselves of this engagement when we only want to hear and only want to recognize the stuff that makes us feel good, nice, neat, and clean on the inside. We deprive ourselves of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ who was sent into this world to save sinners like us. But when we don't claim that, we miss part of the story. When we do this, when we leave out, when we edit, when we have selective memory, we do ourselves a disservice because it is then when God does God's most beautiful and redemptive work in the midst of this messy and broken world. Many of us approach this passage today with like this pro-Davidic bias, right? King David, you're everything. But the reality of what's left out shows us that David has some issues. But does it mean that his importance in biblical history is no longer valid? No, that's not what it means. But the testimony and truth of God's goodness to us in Christ is lived out in the midst of his mess. Remember we talked about that counter-testimony thing? You have testimony, counter-testimony. We have selective memory when it comes to things like, well, let's say Jesus it's one of the, the three top three comments we hear in ministry that people will come into your office, they will email you, and they will text you how they feel about these three questions. We've never been a social justice church before. My other favorite one's during Christmas. Well, you know, it's Christmas time. My goodness, could all the sermons at least be happy? And then the last one is during the week of Easter. We all just want to skip and gloss over Good Friday. 
and rush to Sunday morning resurrection. But we don't want to deal with the week in between. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. I've never seen a stole that said Passion Sunday. We don't like that part of the story. We do ourselves a disservice as much as we would like to when we sanitize the events in our lives. Jesus, fully human, fully divine, yes, was a meek shepherd who took care and loved his people, but the same Jesus also was born a refugee, became an immigrant several times over. I mean, there was a hit out on this baby's life from a king. They were on the run from the word go. Crossed a whole bunch of borders, him and his teenage parents, and spent his earthly ministry, much of it openly, openly and blatantly challenging social, political, and religious norms. That's the fullness of who Christ is. You can't accept one side of the story without the other. Jesus, this meek shepherd, the Savior that loves us all, was the same Jesus who went into the temple and turned it upside down because the temple had looked like something you would see at the MGM Grand. And Jesus went off. But we don't talk about that side of Jesus because that's not the image we like. But it's true. I think about this on the week of the fourth in which we celebrate our nation. But the moments I mentioned are a part of our story. They very much are. And some of the impact of some of what I said still affects us to this day. But it's part of us. We can't make it go away. We can't sweep it under a rug. But if we leave out the ugly, I would argue that we miss the God moments, that we miss God speaking to us right in the midst of darkness. I remember Charlotte months before I, a year or two before I left, we had a shooting. It was very near to the church, last church I served. So much so that there were National Guard trucks placed at the end of the church's driveway. A little disconcerting when you see that in your nice, quaint little world. People with M16s walking around the street where, children's, where children play. And Charlotte was just rocked. I mean, it just rocked. I mean, it was an uncomfortable year. Uncomfortable year. And I'll never forget that night of those riots. Phone, phones are lighting up. Colleagues and I like, hey, what are we doing? Are we going down there? And to be in a city intersection, arm in arm, with rabbis, with priests, Protestants, Buddhists, imams, anything you can think of stood arms locked. Now, some didn't know the words of the song, so it had to be taught. Stood in a line singing, we shall overcome. As they stood were the only thing between thousands of angry rioters and police with riot gear and shields and batons. The 
only thing standing between them. And I think of those dark moments and what I saw and witnessed in that line. You see, God speaks. God speaks in the moments of great darkness. I heard God speak last week. Did you? Did you hear God speak? Did you see what God was doing? Last Sunday during communion? So before I tell you, I'm going to keep you on the edge a little longer. Some of my friends actually issued me warnings when I took this call. And I said, what's wrong? Like, they genuinely seemed concerned, and they said, you know what? They said, Chris, you know, we really want you to be careful, you, you and your family out there. And I said, why? You know, um, it's hot. I want to be hot. Um, and, and they said, no, well, you, you know, just, you know where you're going, right? And I said, yeah, enlighten me. Um, what, I'm going to Texas. It's kind of big. You can't miss it. And they said, well, no, I just, you know, you're a, you know, it's notoriously a red and conservative state. And, you know, with yourself being sort of an out-of-the-box, out somewhat opinionated black guy, you know, just be careful. And I'm thinking to myself, like, okay. The only thing I was scared of was Cowboys fans. But I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking to, in that moment, and I think about that, that history that I just brought up. And then last week, the sermon combined with us sharing bread, wine, and table. Did you see God speak? Did you see what happened? It wasn't so subtle. Behind this table in this notoriously red and conservative state stood over the sacraments a white man, a black man, and a white woman. Did you see God speak? What was represented behind our table? We can't leave out the not-so-good parts, because what God does in the midst of our nastiest messages is gospel. He's okay. Seriously, don't worry about it. It's all good. Soren Kierkegaard once said these words. He said that life is only understood backwards, but life can only be lived forward. It's hard to understand, and it's even harder to give, our grace, give ourselves the grace to accept that. But when we take out only the parts of the story that we want, it is tantamount to rejecting the very grace of God. Because God's grace shines brightest in the midst of our brokenness. All of our stories have lots of pages in it. Some we would like to tear out, but we can't do it. Instead, I offer you an alternative, all of us. As you try so hard to turn that page, that page that is so heavy, it is like a thousand pound weight in your hand. Let go, accept God's grace, and feel God's hand holding yours tightly. And allow God to help you turn the page. 
Our story is not written all the way yet. God's still writing. And it's a good story with an even better ending.